One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. On DAB, digital radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, after the lights go out, on TalkSport. I'm Steve Harmison. I represented England in 63 tests, 58 one-day internationals and won the Ashes twice with my country. And I'm Leo McKenzie. I've experienced life as both a Premier League footballer and a professional boxer. In this programme, we're focusing on elite athletes and their transition from their sporting careers to civilian life. We both enjoy the highs and lows unique to professional sport, a vocation which often leads to adulation and riches beyond the means of the vast majority of people. However, we also struggled with what followed when our respective careers came to an end, when the roar of the crowd becomes a fading memory and the adrenaline fueled lifestyle draws to a close. Tonight on Talk Sport, we're in conversation with a man who won the league title with Liverpool, the FA Cup with Spurs, and played for England, Paul Walsh. Walsh looks to tip Southall. A brilliant goal. The cross comes in towards Rush. And Walsh! And they've equalised again. Vintage stuff. Quinn. Walsh is in the centre waiting. Walsh. It's there. Oh, what a great goal. There's no other word for it. Paul Walsh enjoyed a 17-year career in professional football, representing Luton Town, Charlton, Liverpool Spurs, Manchester City and Portsmouth between 1979 to 1996. His many achievements in the game include being voted the PFA Young Player of the Year in 1984, helping Liverpool win the league and cut double in 1986, while he was also part of the Tottenham side which lifted the FA Cup in 1991. His talent was also recognised at international level, winning five caps for England. And after injury brought an end to his playing career, he was a familiar face for many years on TV, thanks to his work as a regular pundit on Soccer Saturday on Sky Sports. Paul will be joining us very shortly, and tonight, Steve, we'll be speaking with someone who was a great talent. You've got to know Paul pretty well. What can we expect over the course of this next hour? Well, Leon, I think Walsh's a um, fantastic guy. He's somebody who I've known or got to know probably since about the 2011, 12 time. There's a, a golfing competition, a golfing weekend. Uh, ten international footballers, ten international cricketers. And I've got to know Walshy on that. And there's been a marked difference, I think, in Paul because he had a very, very enjoyable character, somebody who loved uh, life and soul of the party, um, and then probably about four or five years ago, Paul stopped drinking and 
he changed. He had a, an issue in with that sort of family. But there's still the same fun-loving Paul Walsh, who loves to be in, in the banter, always seemed to be on a high. So for the next hour, I'm expecting a lot of storytelling. I'm expecting a lot of fun. But I'm also expecting the dark side of, of where Paul Walsh got to and why he had to he had to stop drinking. Great. Well, let's give a big welcome to tonight's guest to After the Lights Go Out here on TalkSport. It's a very good evening to Paul Walsh. How are you doing, Paul? I'm good. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Good, my man. Good. So it's really hard to believe that it's a quarter of a century since you played, by the way. It is. You retired like that. (laughs) (laughs) You retired due to a knee injury at age of 34. What do you remember of your football career coming to a close? I think that day I was captain and um, again, it, it was one of those where I actually at Millwall, I, I picked up an injury at Millwall, I was lunging for the ball and I crunched my right knee and I had a microfracture at the top of the, the, the right tibula, I think it was. And I went to see the surgeon, the surgeon said, give it three weeks and you'll be fine. Twelve days later, the club were asking, asking me if I'd play or the manager was asking the physio, the physio was asking me. And because we put this, we got this like, you know, you've got to put your macho head on and yeah, I can play through anything. I'm superhuman. So I felt uncomfortable, but trying not to be a because that's what you're trying not to be. I, uh, I uh, said, I'll, I'll give it a go and um, made it worse. Uh, well, I didn't make it worse. As I was running across the pitch, my knee collapsed and I ruptured my cruciate ligaments, sheared a bit of bone off and, and that was it. Pretty much, that was that was me done. I had that fear straight away. I heard a massive pop, and I knew I knew I'd done something serious. Um, and then over the over the next few days and weeks, you know, you have the scans and all the see the surgeon and the X-rays and all the rest of it, and you find out that you're pretty much done. It was really hard from a footballing point of view. And I remember sitting at home. I'd just moved into a, a new house. I'd only joined Pompey for the second time. Uh, I moved into a new house that I'd built and things were still quite exciting. I was still enjoying playing. You know, I was still loving it, to be honest. And, and I remember sitting in that new house crying, you know, the, the fact that it was over and um, thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And then, you know, I had a couple of days like that feeling really down. And then I had to get my war mask on. A war mask w- was the mask that I, I, I was now going to wear because I was quite angry about a lot of stuff. I went straight into the club and I knew it was going to be a battle over money. And, and I just knew that, that was, that's what, what was going to happen. And that's exactly what did happen. Mm. And trying to fight all those fights, I mean, it was with Terry Venables and the chairman at the club, Martin Gregory at the time. You know, because as soon as you're, this is where you realise how indispensable you are, you know, when, when you're no good to the club anymore, it's about, A, you're going to deal with the money. Luckily for me, and I say luckily because I didn't look at it with any gratitude whatsoever at the time. I still had two and a half years of my contract. So at least I had something coming. It was just, what was it going to be? But that belligerent sort of guy I was at that time, angry about lots of stuff, sort of um, went went to war. But uh, the amount of pain in my own head over them, over just that one scenario and the the, the lengths that I would go to with, you know, I was fighting with people around. Not physically fighting, but I was prepared to fight with anyone and argue with anyone about the unfairness of it. Listen, I'd been, I'd struggled. I could go right back to many, many years ago with things I've done um, that, are, that are absolute insanity. But this was now because I'd been a fighter, because I was a fighter from a, a teenage boy when I was getting rejected for being small. So when I got there, it was almost me sticking two fingers up to the world, going, oh, "I'm here now. You know, I've done it my way." All them people who said I weren't going to get here, you know, sticking two fingers up at them. And now that that twenty years just was over. 
And it was the fear of uncertainty. It was fear of money, money uncertainty. Fear of all them things, really. Fear. We don't like to admit we're fearful, but I was. You know, that was a, yeah, a real big moment in my life. I think looking back on it, and it's easy looking back on it many years later, it's, it's all about, you know, perspective, I think. I'll give you an example, right? I bumped into Gary Shaw. Now, Gary Shaw was a top, top player back in the, in, in the mid-80s, early 80s. You know, won a you know, European Cup, a league championship, and got his career cut short at 24. And I see that devastation in him every time I bump into him. You know, the fact that, you know, he never fulfilled the rest of his career, you know, after such an unbelievable start. And I try to put myself in his, in his position and it's just almost impossible to, to know how, well, I do, I think I, would, I do know now what I know about myself, how I would have reacted. So I have to be grateful for the career I had. But when I first finished, I only looked about, my, I was negative. I only looked at the negativity about what I left out there, what I didn't do, you know. And I, you know, and I was so full of negativity that, you know, that's how I was, negative, negative about the future, even negative about the past rather than going, do you know what? I'd have snapped your hands off for that career in the beginning. The perspective thing is massive because if you look at it with gratitude, you'll have a chance of being grateful for what you had. But you know, if you just look at it with negative eyes all the time, you're going to doom it, feel sorry for yourself, slip into self-pity, which is what I did. And, uh, and that does drag your mental health down. Would you say your, your head was filled with regrets, even though you, know, you achieved more than most players? Yeah, I'll go back to when I was 17, right? Because um, I look at some of the insanity that in, in my life because football's exciting. Playing in front of big crowds is exciting. Yeah. I liked exciting. I liked dangerous. I liked, you know, every, you know it was like, it was just, a, I was living this unbelievable life, you know, doing things I never thought I'd, I'd have access to. But I remember one, give you an example, one New Year's Eve. I was 17, I'd only just got my car. And um, I drove down to Laysdown on New Year's Eve with all my mates in the car, semi-bladdered, got there and drove home totally bladdered in fog, right? Real thick fog. And I look, I look back on that, you know, considering I would have crawled over broken glass to be a footballer, I now put that in danger with that one behaviour on that day. I struggled to comprehend I did that. And I did that repeatedly, you know, and, and, and I really struggle with trying to understand why I would do that. But it's one of them. So like I said, I'm, I am a bit of an overanalyzer looking back at everything I've ever done just to try and, you know, but also look at it and get it in the right perspective and look at it through a diff, through, from a different angle. But at what point did Paul Walsh realise that I actually had a very good football career? Last three to six months. The last three to six months. Wow. Yeah. 20, 24 yeah. years on. Yeah. Jeez, that's, well, yeah, as that's... in As in the last three to six months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, I... I I'm in a program of recovery and so wow. um, what I've had to do is find gratitude in all the things I've, I have rather than looking for all the things I haven't got. Yeah. And for so long, I was so self-pitying and selfish and I couldn't see what I had because I was too busy either wanting what someone else had or wanting more for myself, you know. And when I came out of football, it was all about keeping my ego in place. So, you know, people, people sometimes moan about the PFA, right? The PFA were always great to me, right? When, mm. I, when I had that money argument with Portsmouth at the end, Gordon Taylor looked after me great. The PFA looked after me great. I can't, and when I've had, when I've needed, needed some therapy, PFA have looked after me when I've needed help. But I have a theory that when 
I don't know what level you have to, and this isn't this doesn't apply to everybody. But I believe that when you when you come out of football, your ego doesn't want you to go and retrain and be a plumber. Yeah. No disrespect to a plumber or a carpenter or any of those skills. I wish I could do any of them right now, but your ego won't let. So I wanted to go in. I want to go into all the fluffy stuff. I want to. I want to be a football agent, which is what I was for a bit. I hated every minute of it. Right. I wanted to be in TV, which, to be fair, I, I had I had 17, 18 years doing Sky and other and other stuff. Um, I never appreciated it. I just purely done it to keep earning money. I never had any real passion for it. I never worked hard enough at it, and I was difficult as well because of my attitude. I was difficult. So, you know, when it came time to turfing people out, I was the first to go at Sky, and I totally get that now. Um, totally get it. You know, things have been changing, and 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 so when it was when it was time to go, I went first. And uh, you know, I look back at that. I, you know, when that happened three years ago, even then I couldn't have accepted that. But I totally get it now. You know, and so it's looking at stuff from a totally different angle, looking at the the way my behaviour within that situation, trying to understand it. But and and I, and I spend a lot of time in this arena of analysing and help, helping other situations. So I see it a lot. I see it a lot in a lot of people. Mm. You know, if you're helping out in, and talking about mental health, Leon, I don't know. It's uh, it's been a struggle. But the last six months, things have changed. Walshie, just going back to the injuries situation, when I was going through sort of my injuries and, and kept breaking down physically and mentally, do you feel like you achieved as much as you you could have? And the reason I say that is because I, I feel that I didn't really reach my full potential, Walshie, if that makes sense. I wasn't as good a striker as you, but for what I used to bring, I just felt like I could have probably done a little bit more do you think you could have got well, more from the game in terms of my injury that finished me I couldn't have um, I couldn't have recovered from it so I mean I tried to recover from it and I went, went and got a second opinion and that that decision virtually got took out of my hands anyway um, it was just undoable at my age with the severity of the injury so that that was very final I could talk to you about my behaviour through football and whether that affected my performance because it did you know there were times I was unprofessional so I look back on my life and, and I look at the times I was unprofessional and, and I know that, that that meant I left a bit out there. And so, yeah, that, they're the bits I have the regret for, if you like, but not so much the injury because I still got to play till I was 34. So you can get over that, can't you? Even though I made a massive big deal out of it. Poor me because my career's over. But yeah, in terms of, I, I felt like, you know, Tottenham, for instance, was the one club where I, I let myself down massively. In what sense, will she? Like this could fall into triggers now. So I know um, alcohol was a massive sort of trigger for you. When did that sort of come start coming into play for you then? Well, it was always there. That's why I told you about the drink driving at Charlton when I was seventeen. So that was always there when life, because you know it, there was a, there was that old mentality: win or lose, we will booze. And so whether we won, we had a drink. Whether we lost, we having a drink. And if it was bobbling along in the middle, we had a drink. It just didn't matter. We had a drink, didn't we? But when things in my life went wrong or, uh, you know, something didn't suit me. And for the first time in my life, some, uh, it was, I was at Liverpool. I had my first injury, uh, a cartilage operation. Then I had a hernia. Then the manager changed. And then I had a major ankle surgery. And for the first time in my, my old life in football, I'd had some injuries. And now I've got a different manager who didn't buy me. And I was about to get my first sort of rejection, if you like, from a manager who was happy to sell me. Um, but in that last year of being at Liverpool, um, I hardly played. I played bits and pieces, but not, not very much. And so the only way that I consoled myself was 
going out, drinking and mucking about. And that was the only way I consoled myself, you know. That seemed to give me... Uh, in, when I look at it, it was absolutely ridiculous, but that's what I did. But then eventually, Kenny phones me up, Kenny Dalglish phones me up and he says, um, I've agreed a fee with Tottenham, do you want to go? Well, yeah, I do want to go and I need to go. I don't really want to go because you never want to leave Liverpool Football Club. Mm. But I know I've got to go. So then I, get, I, get, um, I land in a hotel uh, in London... And I end up staying in that hotel for a year. But I never changed my habits at all from that drunken last year at Liverpool. I now went into a drunken two years at Tottenham. You know, my hotel paid for, my laundry paid for, you know, my phone calls, my meals, everything was paid for. You know, then Gazza comes into the mix and we're in the hotel together. You know, Paul Stewart comes into the mix. There's a bit of, mad, you can imagine, there's a bit of madness going on. And, um, you know, it was a, Tottenham was a crazy football club. It was the most dysfunctional group of players I've ever been involved with. Really? Um, yeah, and, and although we had, a, we had some great laughs, I look back on it. And like, so I, I, I say about, Terry Venables used to say, you're grown-ups, I'll treat you like grown-ups. I used to think, yeah, but you just don't know what it's like when we're on our own. And it was like, it was bedlam. <laughs> It was absolute yeah. bedlam. And uh, yeah, some of it was really funny, don't get me wrong. And we had some great laughs, but it was, it was a level of unprofessionalism underlining a real hardcore part of the team. You know, and then you had the likes of Gary Mabbott, totally professional, great player, captain, you know, d- doing everything right. And then you had a bunch of Herberts all running around in the background doing all this other stuff. You know, I remember then getting in some real messy situations, couldn't turn up for training on a Monday, phoning the club doctor up. Um, after I'd been on been on an all day Sunday job or or something, and, and you know just struggling again, and, and the days I did turn up on a Monday, you know struggling to train properly, trying to hide how sh- crap I felt and how sh- I looked, you know, and stuff like that, and that happened just too often, mm-hmm. and so I was only ever seventy five percent of what I was capable of, and so I, of course I look back on that now and, and regret that period of my career. You know, because I let myself down and, I, you know, I let Terry Venables down. But I spent years blaming Terry Venables for not playing me here and playing someone else instead of me and doing this and doing that. I was just deflecting away from all the things I was doing. I wasn't looking at what I was doing. I was behaving badly. I was unprofessional and I got what I deserved. That's how I look at it now. Mm. And, you know, and if I could get Terry Venables on the phone, I'd say sorry to him. Sorry for letting him down. He showed faith in me. Give me a great move a great opportunity, and I, and I let him down. I didn't make the most of it. Was there a point that you look back on now? Because you, you, I read an article and you said you left Liverpool as a drunk, arrived at Spurs as a drunk. And was there a moment where you, you can think back now, you think, well, that was the start of me going, or was it just simply the 17-year-old who drove uh, down to Charlton? No, I, I had that in my locker. Mm-hmm. All the time, that was there. It just manifests itself. Was there, some, was there some time that stood out? Was there was there a moment where it stood out, and you think, if only I hadn't have done it at that time, I wouldn't have progressed to where it ended up. Nah, because there was there was there was there was multiple occasions. You know, I did I did I had a three year period where this sort of intermittent behaviour carried because you can't do it every day because you just can't. You've got to you know you've got to train, you've got to turn up. Monday was a bad day for me if I'd had a heavy weekend. Um, Tuesday, you're feeling a bit better. Wednesday, I've got my head together a little bit. Um, have we got a midweek game? If I had a midweek game, I wouldn't go out on a Sunday or try not to go out too too much on a Sunday. And it was all. But but what I'm saying to you is that the, the the drinking part of my life at that time overtook the important part of the football stuff. It wasn't my focus anymore. You know, I, I was trying to work my nights out, my days out, and when I was going out and what I was doing. I remember one game, all right? One game we was at uh, Bradford away in the FA Cup and we got beat one 0 and that's 
you know, they were in the third division. No disrespect, whatever division. I think it was in the third division, mm. right? And so we get on. We got. We had this great big double decker Holston bus, right? It was state of the art at the time. So we get on that bus, and um, we had a waiter who comes along with the white towel over his arm and says, um, "What would you like, chicken or steak? How do you want it cooked? And then do you want red wine or white wine?" And we got these like these people who had travelled the length of the country to watch us play, and we was diabolical and lost one nil. And they're like, they're like a beaut. Some of them are going, yeah, 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 up at the window, you know, giving us a bit of stick. Yeah. And we'd get a glass of red wine or something and put it to the window and go and then sip it down. You know, really inside, I was embarrassed. And that's what, that's what it was like. We got pampered at Tottenham um, in terms of all that stuff. And, and, then, and then, you know what? The, the mood would be a bit, you know, it's about four, good four hour drive back that. So we'd have about an hour of feeling a bit, oh, we weren't very good today. And then it's like, right. Coming down the M1, the bag comes off the top shelf. I'm getting my gear on, and it's like, where are we going? You know, and we'd be into, into town, drop, get the car dropped off somewhere, into the West End, and, and off we went. Or off I went. I went out on my own. I went out on my own a lot of the time. Oh, um, All right, going back to that, right? Because obviously, when I'm listening to you now, because I can hear that, that fire, you're a fiery character. I love it. But at the same time, drinking became obviously a behavior pattern. But more sort of cultured. It sounds like it's like it's quite cultural with your drinking life, right? So why did you drink? If you knew that it was not really doing you great, because you was a fantastic footballer. So why why do you think you drunk? Well, you're you're answering the insanity question, <laughs> right? It's insane. Really? It's in, it's insane. What I did was insane. Considering that's why I said earlier about crawling over broken grass to be a footballer, and then I'd put put my career in danger with my behaviour, you know, and and, that, and that's what I did consistently. So mm. you know, but but there was a there was a lot of other examples of people behaving similar, you know. Um, but you know, I was suffering. I was suffering as a player, you know. I was suffering in terms of my performance, and that that's the barometer. If you look at if you look at my career stats, you go to Tottenham, and I've played more games for Tottenham anyway. My goal returns shocking. Well, that's because. I remember going out with George Best on a Friday. I didn't think I was in the team, you know, and I've gone for a, gone for a few beers with, with George and, and we've ended up carrying on a bit through the day. It's on a Friday, right? Shouldn't be, shouldn't be out, shouldn't be drinking. And we went to somewhere in, in Mayfair and had a game of pool and I turned up the next day feeling a bit not the best. I didn't even think I was in, on the bench and I'm starting. Oh, oh no. my God, you know, and um, I got oiked off, I think, at half time. I was just like hopeless. I'm ashamed of those things. Really, I'm ashamed of those things. Now, I can't answer your question why I did it. It was just insane. You know, I didn't care. Obviously, I didn't care at that point, did I? I didn't care enough. Just to elaborate on from that, you, you mentioned uh, a, couple of, a couple of instances, but from a, a personal and professional point of view, I think you've touched on the, on the professional side, but the drinking in your career, how did that affect the sort of personal life? Up, up to that point I'm describing, I, I'm single. Yeah. Right. So I did what I want. I did what I wanted. I had carte blanche to do what I wanted, you know, and I didn't like sitting in on my own. So I went out and just done what I wanted. And it was reckless and, you know, and a lot of it, you know, very reckless and insane. But um, and then I, then I met my wife and I sort of got my stuff together a bit. And, uh, you know, things did get a little bit better. So it was, it was blindingly obvious. I'm not doing I'm not living, not living exactly the same, but still had lots of excuses. They were just different drinking. The drinking became slightly different. Um, in terms of how often, and I had responsibilities. My first child was on his way, and and, and and things like that. When it's intermittent, it's easy to 
brush it off, oh, because we're, we're young men, we're footballers, we're letting our hair down. You can make a million excuses for it. But a lot of it was just every time I did it, I did it to, to a degree of excess. Mm. And that, that probably became a, a theme all through my life, really, uh, of doing that. But the, the, the major problem, going back to a men, if you're going back to a mental, is further down the road when you're drinking for a different set of problems. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and drinking actually becomes a solution to your head that you can't man, manage. Um, that's why people do drugs. They can't stand the, the, the stuff going on in their head, so they drink or drug it away. Mm, to numb the, um, the, the situation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it takes them out of it, although it's still there the next day when you, when you come off it, and, and normally you've got a massive depression that goes with it. Was that to cover some of the injuries as well? I remember, you know, I remember when I had a, a long layoff with, a, with my, probably my most, ser- well, not my most serious injury, the seriousest one, it was obviously the one that finished me, but I had a major ankle surgery and I was so down on myself because I was having my best season at Liverpool. You know, I just got in the PFA All-Star team and I got injured with, I don't know how many games, eight, nine, ten games to go. And, and, I, and I missed the FA Cup final. I missed the run into the double. And I remember being involved in it all, but just feeling so out of it involved but not involved if you like even though I was involved you know it wasn't wasn't like anyone was trying to exclude me from anything but I'd grown up wanting to play in an FA Cup final and it was just been taken away from me and the self-pitying part of me just couldn't accept it I'd got injured I was going to miss it you know um, so during that summer I remember a mate of mine come down from Liverpool and, and I spent a lot of time in and around London and we just we, I just drifted around going out drinking a lot of the time you know and uh, having having a good time because um, I was in a pot, he was driving, or we'd just get taxis everywhere. And, uh, you know, that, that was the only way, because if I sat there, I couldn't deal with the faults in my head about the resentment of not being in that final, the resentment of maybe the mistake the surgeon made, the resentment, you know, it was all resentment and angry feelings towards mm. other people because poor me wasn't going to be playing in the FA Cup final. Poor me wasn't going to be in the team for the rest of the season. You know, it was a lot of self-pitying stuff. But um, and, you know, it's not like I'm proud to say I was self-pitying, but I've had to identify it as that because that's what it was. Because football and sport, if you come in it from 16 and you're pampered all the way through, if you're at a half-decent level, you know, you become a bit of a baby. Baby to situations. Not everyone. I'm only talking about me. But, you know, I think there's a fair bit of it. You become a baby in the end. And so when you come out of football, you're still a bit of a baby. I was a baby in football and then I was a baby outside of football with, with my reactions to situations that didn't suit me. And if it didn't suit me, I, I didn't like it. And then I drank because I didn't like it. Mm. Sim- simple as that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. After the lights go out, Leon McKenzie and Steve Harmison in conversation with Paul Walsh on Talk Sport. Walsh, you spoke in the last section about alcohol and the adverse effect it had on your life. But at what point did you go, I've got to stop this? Um, it was, it was, I don't want to go into the details of it, but it was regarding a, an incident with my son in blackout. I, I blacked out and had, an, and had a situation with my son. Mm. And, um, you know, and the, the next day when I, when I got my head off the pillar, you know, and I, I'd, had, I'd had a million of these moments before where I've looked in the mirror, stared in the mirror at myself and said, you know, I, I, got, I can't keep doing this. I've got to change it. I've got to do something different. I just didn't know how I was going to do something different. It's like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting it to be different, and it just never is. And then after the incident with my son, I was so ashamed of what had happened that, um, you know, I, I decided to... I just, well, I'd had, a, I'd had a friend from from Manchester who'd been in my ear quite a lot about, you know, did he think that I could be the problem? <laughs> I laughed at him in the beginning, but, but over time um, and after that incident, I, I, ran, in, I ran into uh, the rooms of AA, yeah. and, um, and, and I've been there ever since. And, and I can tell you today, that relationship with my son is so much better now. It's, you know, so much better. That's great because to of hear. The, Because of the changes that I, you know, I've, I've made and the programme that I'm in. You know, getting out of self, when I say getting out of self, selfish, self-seeking, self-centredness, you know, self-pity, getting out of those things. I don't feel sorry for myself. I should be bloody grateful for the career I had, grateful for what I've got. But I didn't used to look at it that way. You know, I've got my health at the moment. All my family's okay at the moment. I've not got too many money worries or anything at the moment. I'd still be looking at what before, what I didn't have, or where I was trying to get to, mainly up that way, higher and higher. Why do I want to get higher and higher? Because I believe it's how I view myself in terms of self-esteem. As long as I've got money and prestige and I'm doing something that looks like I've got a great life, then I'm okay. But it was, that's nonsense. You mentioned, you know, you, uh, I read an article and you said, and this is, uh, this is your, your words, you said the next day, we're talking about the incident with your son, the next day when I got my head off the pillow, I felt suicidal. I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You know, that, that for me is so powerful when you're talking about any sort of form of addiction. And when you feel feeling in suicidal, that's to an extreme where you feel as though you have to change. Yeah. Well, that, that's it, and that that was the that was the, the beginning of the next part of my life, you know. Um, and you know what? It's been a great five years of learning about myself, learning about behaviour, learning about other people, you know, identifying with other people and their behaviour. And I'm quite heavily into it, so it's um, I spend a large part of my week now because I, you know, I, I went I went you know from I was doing Sky, but I was also I've been a builder, you know, a builder developer. I still do that stuff, so I'm still in building that's and good. stuff. And, and it's like, you know, but I've never enjoyed it. I've hated it. Because hmm. even when I was building stuff, I, I just didn't want all the grief and aggro. I wanted, I wanted the money. I didn't want all the grief. Life don't work like that. You've got to work for it. You've got to go through a bit. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I was a baby. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I've accepted all of that stuff now. And it's, um, it's just, you know, so I'm trying, to be, I'm trying to be grateful for all the things I've got. I've, so hmm. I've, I've spun it round. You know, but I, I, I do a lot of stuff in the morning. You know, I actually meditate now and do other things that help me get in a good spot when I wake up, you know, so that I can look at the day in a, in a better light. 
I never used to do any of that stuff. I've had to just open my mind to doing different things. Walshie, let me yeah. just ask you this quickly. Um, do you ever have any concerns that you might fall back in? The reason I say that, it's a consistent effort to try and do the right things. With alcohol and that being more of an addiction process, do you ever get worried that you might fall back in or you have you got to consistently do the work? Yeah, you hit it on the head. You have to consistently do the work. Let's go to a couple of old, you know, another couple of players that we know. Let's, I've mentioned Gaza. Yep. You know, Gaza has a, just a, an everyday struggle with trying to manage what he's doing and, but can't quite change, change it enough. On the, Well, it seems to me like he can't quite change enough to get a consistent run of, of doing something different without slipping back into his old ways. Mm. And, I, you know, in the fellowship I'm in, I've seen, um, I've seen many people relapse regularly. Um, that, so I have a healthy fear of that happening to me. So I, what I've, I'm lucky I have time. So I have time. So I try to help other people. By helping other people, I feel better about me. You know, you mentioned suicide. Suicide, I believe, is the most selfish thing that anyone could ever do. Imagine how I, my family would feel, you know, that the fact that that was running through my head. I think it is a selfish thing. But then again, I was selfish. So I was only thinking about me and not the impact on, on anyone else. And it's getting out of self. And that's what I've been trying to do. Not always keep looking about what I want all the time. You know, uh, my life's been great. I just could never see it. Yeah, no, I understand. I think what you, selfish and suicide is, is such a thin line. But I'm, when I look back, I think, yeah, okay, there is a selfish maybe point to it. But then I have to look at the psychological element of everything. And even for yourself, where you're using that addiction process, it's not that you're necessarily being selfish. You're just not well. It breaks everything else down. Therefore, the self, when someone doesn't want to be here anymore, or you know thinks that my family would be better off without me you know the world would be better off without me that's just because their mind's broken down like they've had enough it's not because my children are my everything or she you know what i mean um yeah. they, they're my world when i look back now i feel like oh lee come on but then i have to look at the other side and say well actually i wasn't doing too well so i have to kind yeah. of comfort it a little bit there when you sort of say selfish it's a thin line i've lost people to suicide sister uncle it's a thin line you know sometimes people just can't yep. cope for what they cope with but yeah i mean i was too egotistical to ask for help so mm. when you're in that spot if you ask for help i believe the help is there then you have to look at change are you prepared to change yes you know and then you have to change but i'm going back to suicide i, d I do believe though that it's because you get caught in that rut of self-pitying behaviours, mm. thinking, because my life's not what I want it to be. You know, my life wasn't what I wanted it to be. That's why I was in that spot. That's why my head was where it was. And so, you know, I had to get out of that frame of mind. So I needed help. So I had to try something different. And by doing, by getting involved in the fellowship that I was in, it, it changed that outlook. And now I look at it totally different. And not only that, I, I feel a lot of guilt and shame towards my two kids because I believe my, my behaviours have impacted on my kids. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I can second that. I can second that. Yeah. You know, so, so I, the, the only thing I can do is be a bit of a better example to them going forward. You know, albeit it didn't start till I was 53, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hurtling towards 60 and it's, uh, it, it's never too late though. Just touch on the fellowship thing you mentioned there. You you do the AA stuff and you, you say you help other people now. Uh, how did that come about? Because that must've took some soul searching when you talk about ego. 
well, it's trying to get out of ego is, is the whole point of it. Yeah, I mean, but you know, get, get to that start, point. But it start, started off that my, my friend in Manchester who, who introduced me to it. And then when I had the incident with my son, I ran into it and uh, sat in it, listened. And then there's, you know, there's service within it. So um, where you get a little bit of experience and then you start to help others when you're in a position to help others. Things like, I think it's in, it was in that article, but, you know, prison service. You know, because I'm an ungrateful little so-and-so, you know, when you go into a prison and you, and you run a meeting in a prison and you see the lives of what, of what some people have had compared to my life, mm. sometimes you come out there feeling grateful for what you've got, right? Mm. It helped me. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be helping them, but it's actually helping me as well, mm. right? So I come out and think, wow, you crying little self-pitying, whatever, you know. But problem is I had is hanging on to that gratitude, hanging on to it, because... Next day, something could happen in my life that didn't suit me, and I'm back straight back to my old thinking, my old behaviour, because I've thought a certain way for so long. So changing that behaviour and changing that thinking, because it's the thinking that leads you to the situations yeah. you get to, and then the drink normally is just the final part of it, in regret of what you've done or the reaction to a situation. You know, um, you know I could blame a million people for a lot of things. Right, I'm going up the pub. I've had enough. I'm not listening to this. See you later. <laughs> and off yeah. we go, you know. Cycle um, returns. I used, to, I, used yeah. to, I used to engineer those situations. Walshi, in 2015, your autobiography uh, was published. What was the reasons for writing that? I got approached. Someone asked me to do it. Um, looking back on it, I wish I hadn't done it. Um, Why? I said all the things that probably, I, I moaned at probably loads of people because I wasn't looking at the part I had in it. And I was ill in the head at the time, you know, I was angry, angry. I, I, only, I only had two uh, feelings, which were anger and resentment in a million different uh, forms yeah. and situations. And um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, actually, I did a, I did a pos- podcast for the Priory not so, not so long ago with Luke, Luke Sutton. And Luke did ask me recently, would I, would I like to do another book? just for, from a different perspective. So I, I, who knows, that, that may come to something, I don't know. But I'd like to do an honest version. Yeah, 100% of do it. You know, mental health's big in football. It's big in the world at the moment, looking at stuff and, yeah. and why people do things, why they don't do stuff. And so that's why, you know, as a, as a, as a radio um, show, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to pe- speak to people who, who have had their various situations and battles. And, you know, but normally, you know, especially when I was doing that book, I was too egotistical to... to um, it was all about, you know, fighting my corner and defending myself in every situation. Never seeing someone else's side of it. So that's why the book would be, would be totally different. Yeah. I wouldn't want it to be, that was my fault. That was my fault. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I did this. I did, yeah. So there has to be some balance to it. You know, there has to mm. be some balance to, to it. And I, I suppose that's what I'm trying to find in my life in general is just a bit of balance. You know, I've never been good at bobbling along in the middle. I was either flo- it bouncing off the ceiling or scraping myself off the floor. Mm. I didn't like all that. I didn't like normal bobble along in the middle. That's boring, isn't it? Yeah, it Who is. wants to do that? <laughs> I like to be like, you know, causing murder or, you know, my bent nose that you're looking at. It's been punched a few times because I, I always up, used to like upsetting people. You know, <laughs> it, you, you talk about up, up, whether it was upsetting or I think it was upsetting to you was you, you were sort of 20 years nearly with Sky Sports. Um, Soccer Saturday, you're not doing that anymore. Was there a, a bitter element to the, the ending of Sky? Not now there isn't. Yeah. There was at the time. Was at the time. There was at the time. I remember I was in La Manga actually on another footballers do, and I got a phone call from Ian Condren, who was the producer of Soccer Saturday, telling me they weren't renewing my contract. You know, it was a bit of a blow, but 
part of me was already starting to look at me at that point, um, but maybe not enough at that point. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't remember when it was. It might have been a year ago. I phoned Ian up and I apologised to him. I, I think I was difficult, you know. But I also remember driving up the motorway, rowing with people. I mean, shouting so loud, you know, um, veins were popping out of my head and, and then having to get to Sky and flip a switch and walk through the door all jovial. When inside I was dying about other situations. Yeah. Business deals and messes I got myself into with things and, you know, the, where that used to take my head. And, you know, so I, I, I just I just struggled. I struggled. I got myself in. My, my ego wanted me to be in business deals and, and be, be good at it. And when it went wrong, I couldn't I couldn't cope with the fallout of, of having to manage those situations. Um, but and, and, and spent having a lot of plates spinning, i.e. Sky Sports, trying to do these business deals. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I just I just try to do too many things. And what I've also realised, and I don't mind admitting this, I don't do stress very well. So what I've tried to do is de-stress my life yeah. as much as I can. As I said, I'm going to say it again, I'm a bit of a baby. I don't deal with it that well. You know, I've just had to look at another business thing I was going to do, and I've decided I don't really want to do it because I just don't want to... I don't want the ag of it. I don't want the pressure of it. I don't want, you know, and I'm trying not to, I feel like I've chased money all my life, chased a pound note round, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. financial insecurity after football. You know, for 20 years, you have a pay packet, you have a contract and then it stops and you don't know whether you're getting a five or a 10 or a 20 quid. And, and so not knowing what that was, but with all the same outgoings, yeah. you know, when I first went to Portsmouth, I was 29, 30. The lads at Portsmouth used to call me half a daily, yeah. you know, because I'd always been bringing parcels of gear in selling it you know i'd buy some liquidated stock hundred pair of trainers for a tenner each and i'd go in and sell them to the lads for 15 quid mm. then i got involved at the merchandising at the club because what i what i was doing is the fear of coming to the end of my career was driving me to see what am i any good at can i yeah. sell stuff what can i do can i you know and i you know it was, a, it was a process of me already being fearful of the end of my footballing life I went to Portsmouth and, and obviously the fallout of Tottenham is, no disrespect, but I end up at Portsmouth. Yeah. But I loved it. Once I got my head around it, I loved it. And, you know, and I, I was behaving myself because I've had periods of where I behaved myself and then didn't behave myself. And now I'm in a behave myself period. And um, even though my wife could still probably tell you a few things that she, wouldn't, she didn't like, but, um, you know, in terms of... I remember one day I went out, God bless him, Graham Padden. Do you remember Graham yeah, Padden yeah, used yeah, to yeah. play for West Ham, West Ham back, yeah. back in the 60s, mate, in the 70s? I went out of ground. God bless him, he's not with us anymore. He's, he was one of us, I mean, in terms of alcohol, alcoholic, I believe. And um, we got absolutely mullered. And he dropped me home. So I, I couldn't find my front door key, you know. And um, so my wife's got a picture of me under the, under the table out in the back garden because it was hot, sunny day and I didn't have no shade. So I just crawled under the table and went asleep. She's got a picture of it somewhere. You know, these are things I'm not proud of. You know, um, I remember I've got 18 stitches in my thumb just here. The night I found out I was going to Tottenham, me, John Barnes, Nigel Spackman and Craig Johnston go out for a bit of a bit of a night out. And I put my coat on the back of Spacker's car, car seat. And when we get home, we've had a, I've had a few beers and I can't find my coat because I'm drunk. But what happened when he's broke, it slid off the chair and gone, slid off the back seat and gone down the back of the chair. But now I can't get in my house. So I go up round the back, back gate, back door, and I've got a Georgian window and I've picked up a brick. And I've got it and I'm trying to concentrate 
like, because I've got a key round here that I can get my hands on. And as I've thrown the brick through the little window, I didn't let go of it, and my hand went straight through the window. Oh, no. Barnsley, right. me, Barnsley were all up the hospital while I'm having me, and Spackers and, and Craig Johnston, while I'm having me thing stitched up. Now we're all laughing and taking and Mickey out of each other. And, you know, and it was just... And the, the following week, I had to go and meet Terry Venable, so I had a great big bandage around my hand. So I took the bandage off and put a little plaster over it because I didn't want to highlight a great big bandage. And he's going to go, what, what happened to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so as I'm shaking his hand, because it's my right hand, I first met him. He was, all right, Terry, how you doing? Yeah, nice to meet you. And um, but, um, you know, things like that, the mad, just the madness of all of that. I've got yeah. 18 stitches in my finger, yeah. you know, and um, all, all of them things. You look at yourself today and you sort of compare your life, I would have probably had this answer, compare your life with you know, the Paul Walsh of 10 years ago. But when you look back at your career as well, Titles with Liverpool, PFA Young Player of the Year. FA Cup winner. FA Cup winner with Spurs. You must have an enormous amount of pride now, especially the headspace you're in now. Yeah, I mean, I look back on it now and I've got, I've got to be grateful. You know, there's, there's disappointment there because of the way I carried on at times meant I left some out there in my, in my book. I left some out there. And I know that at Tottenham, for instance, uh, 100% me would have made more of a success of it. But I didn't. So you know, I have to just accept that and be grateful for what I did have. <laughs> so that, that, that's sort of where I'm at with it. And yeah, I, I, I look back. I've had, you know, I also played in the European Super Cup final, European Cup final. Yeah. Um, but see, I, I would look down on them situation. You know, and this is what I used to do. The European Cup final was the Hazel tragedy. Yeah. Oh my God, the only time I get into a European Cup final, it turns out to be the Hazel tragedy, right? Right, so in every, every European Cup final after that, I'd sit there resenting it was in the Parc de Princesse or it was in this stadium or that yeah. stadium. And the night I played, it was in this dump in Hazel. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be resenting every, every future European Cup final I used to watch mm. because, you know, the one I got in turned out to be a tragedy. Do you think I gave a moment's thought for the 39 people that died at that event? No. Wow. Mm. Okay. Do I now? Yes. Different it's mindset. all about me. Different mindset, <laughs> different mindset now, Walshy. So, Walshy, where does Paul Walsh, you know, see himself now, and what's next for you? But I don't know. And on the recovery side, I'm, I'm. That's that's where I want, you know. So, if I just do what I'm doing now, and I don't, no one else wants me to go anywhere else and do anything else, I'm all right with that. I'm okay with it, you know. I suppose I, I remember when I was a kid, we got the we got the pep talk from the guy who comes round, right. And the, and the manager went, aye, aye, lads, listen, listen up now. This guy's been there, done it, you know, got the T-shirt. And I'm sat there as this, like, cocky little 17-year-old, you know, and he's going to tell us how quickly football goes by in the blink of an eye, right? And I'm sitting there going, come on, mate, hurry up. I, you know, I want to get, get off, you know. And I didn't, you know, didn't, didn't listen to a word he said. And many years later, when it's all over, I think, bloody hell, it did go. It just did go in the blink of an eye, didn't it? Yeah. I look back at it. Not, not just my football went in the blink of an eye. It's been 25 years since I stopped playing, and that's gone in the blink of an eye. Mm. My life's ebbing away. This mm. week, I decided to change my routine. I was getting up at 10 o'clock, right, because I was going to bed late. And the reason was that someone shared in a meeting that time is a gift. And not only that, now God bless her, Vanessa, my wife's cousin, was buried on 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 Monday. So right? to that. And um, you know, and you look at the pain in, in in people and what's going on in their lives. So I started getting up at seven o'clock and going out walking and doing a meeting whilst I'm walk, walking. 
Um, you know, I do a bit of meditation now. I try and get my head feeling. I try and just get myself feeling good about life. Yeah. You know, not negative. Getting out of that negative frame of mind about moaning about stuff. I was a top moaner. Top, top moaner about anything and everything. And mm. I don't want to be like that anymore. Morshi, you have been fantastic this Absolutely evening. Absolutely brilliant. Honestly, I've enjoyed listening to you. You've gone in such depth. Yeah. Um, covered all the areas and been totally honest um can't thank you enough mate no pleasure guys it's nice to see you both and i hope you're well cheers walsh that's absolutely brilliant man the premier league all access podcast is proud to be brought to you by ladbrooks the latest odds we set them form guides we've got them expert opinions we share them the best fans in the world deserve the best be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.